Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. There is a word especially for you when you think you're about to give up. Director of Dallas Life. Uh, I have spent the last seven years here in Dallas in uh, what is now the largest shelter. And in uh, seven years before that, I was in Flint, Michigan, in a medium sized mission. And before that, I was the head chaplain for the state of Pennsylvania's maximum security prison system. And before that, 15 years as a senior pastor in Anchorage, Alaska and central Pennsylvania. And I tell you that because I found it very interesting as a pastor where people in my churches wanted to make a difference in the lives of the homeless, and they really didn't know how to do that. Then I go into the prison system where inmates wanted to return to society as productive members, and they didn't know how to do that. And now God's blessed us with kind of the best of both worlds, Christian volunteers from churches, plugging into the lives of the needy, and we are seeing real change. Since 1954, Dallas Life has been there to rescue the most vulnerable of our population out there by providing services to homeless men, women, children, and families of the Dallas Metroplex area, providing food, shelter, clothing, education, and most importantly, recovery programs based on the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus Christ, where people can turn their lives around. So that's what's so exciting for us. Well, that sounds so wonderful, and you sound so passionate about it. And just a side note, I didn't know that you were a pastor. I am so sorry for not acknowledging that. Thank okay. you for letting us giving us that information. Sure. Are you currently past, uh, pastor anywhere today? 
Uh, well, I do speak at various places. I sometimes I'm an interim pastor when churches are looking and they're in between, and I help a lot of churches uh, learn the process of how to select a pastor. I I, I use it as a as an interim ministry, really helping churches realize that pastors are looking for the place that God wants them to be. And so many times when a church is without a pastor, they really rush through the process or just hire a relative or a friend, and they don't take the steps needed to really evaluate the needs of their church, introduce their neighborhood to the Chamber of Commerce, to the various pastors that might be looking, and, and really pray about this and fast and make it a diligent search for the right man. So oftentimes I'll go in for a weekend and help churches do that and speak over that weekend and challenge the congregation. Oh, that is such a wonderful thing. God has really, truly uh, given you your calling, huh? That's oh, I love beautiful. Well, you. I just would like to say that um, we enjoy working with the Dallas Life and we've been there for um, five years where we come down and we help on every other uh, fourth Saturday of the month. We come in and we do the feeding. And on the um, fourth Saturday in August, we bring all the food and we do the cooking and the serving. And it has been such a joy and a pleasure for the Shady Grove Primitive Baptist Church to help out in that Event, So I just wanted to thank you for allowing us to do that. And I wanted to uh, get a little information on your passion for the Dallas Life Foundation or Dallas Life and see uh, where you would like to be in the next five years. Well, that's wonderful. First of all, we we are grateful for churches such as yours because organizations our size can simply never operate without our wonderful volunteers. We have over 1,200 volunteers that come down, many in the form of churches that serve meals like yours does. Uh, oftentimes, those folks will come down and, and have such a compassion, a care, and a love for the homeless that they dump all of that love into a meal that they can serve, and it stays with the resident. It reminds them of the love that the community has for them. Uh, when it comes to my passion for homelessness, it's really twofold. One is to really encourage the needy person. And second is really to encourage our society to realize they misunderstand what the average homeless person is like. The media wants us to believe that every homeless person is pushing a grocery cart or standing at a red light with a sign saying, will work, God bless, please help. But the truth is, Lysandra, that the, the average homeless person is looking like you and I. They're just running out of money before the end of the month. They're trying to keep their families together, having lost a job, an apartment, maybe a death in the family. Maybe they just found out they have a deadly disease, and they're struggling. And, and they look like you and me. We're sitting next to people in our church services every Sunday that are one, two, or three paychecks away from having to stay at a place like Dallas Life, and we would never know it because too oftentimes we don't ask the questions on that level. We're too used to going to church, smiling, asking each other, how are you, and expecting each other to say, just fine, and we go our way in pain. And the homeless people that come to us, they come in trauma. They come to us in such distress 
that they feel as though there's no place else to go. And when the scriptures tell me the poor will always be with you, I, I realize that homelessness is not going away. It's not a disease that needs to be cured. It's a, it's a disorder that needs to be addressed. So if Christ told us that the poor will always be here, perhaps we're supposed to find a way to work with them and bless them in his name and realize that, that they need help and encouragement, and that's what we have to offer. So when I think of passion, I think of the desire to see a person become the best they can be, whether it be a homeless person getting back to work or that church person who knows nothing about homelessness really waking up or understanding for that first time that they can make a difference on a long-term basis, not by looking down or struggling with a homeless person, but by challenging them and holding them accountable to let God come in and change their life. So so that's what I think about when I think about passion. Oh, that is such a good passion. I that's have uh, has always been my concern also to see the people that don't know God that need a little word from us to let them know that we do care. There are people in the society that really really care for the needs of others, and that has always been something that I love to do. I like to give back what God has given me, and I hear that in your explanation, and that sounds good and uh, faithful because, you know, God is so faithful. Once When we give, he'll give back to us. So that has always been something that I um, took heed of because I know that he is a good God. And I thank you that your principles are based upon that because uh, there are lots of other um, people who try to help are not based directly on the words of God. So um, I have a um, magazine here, maybe your little newsletter, that talks about the children at Dallas Life. Would you like to elaborate on the children that you encounter there? Yeah, the children that come to Dallas Life just touch our heart because realize no child ever asked to be homeless. They are at our shelter because of bad decisions that other people have made. Oftentimes those decisions that their parents have been making, they've been, they've been forced to make that decision because that mom might have just been left by that husband or boyfriend having no place to turn. Sometimes it's us having to fit, come face to face with the dad and really challenge him because he did have some options to his choices, but he chose the wrong path, whether it be drug or alcohol use or simply turning his back on his family once he was discouraged having lost his job. Uh, so our challenge to people is to realize that children just have that special place in the heart of God. So children that come to Dallas Life, they're greeted with a new teddy bear on their bed, a new book for them to keep, they keep that book and teddy bear forever. Now, even if they never remember that they stayed at Dallas Life, our goal is that they would remember that they were in a place where they were loved and cared for with the love of God during a time in which mom or dad was really struggling. So for the kids, we try to do extra special things. We have a birthday party every month where you're given a gift, whether it's your birthday month or not. We have back-to-school parties where backpacks filled with school supplies and two uniforms and new tennis shoes go to each child. We have camping in the spring and camping in the summer 
through the DISD and some other independent programs. We lavish the kids with lots of toys at Christmas time so that it will be a special, special time for them. We're grateful for our partnerships with City Park Elementary, Dade Middle School, and the James Madison High School, which are the schools where our kids from the shelter go. They're picked up by the school bus right in front of my office. And we, we really try to be there for kids with family counseling, encouragement, even after, uh, after school homework help every single night of the week through the Rainbow Days and the Dallas School District. So we want to love on a kid and let them know that, that God's right there for them, even through this transitional time of their life. We just love the kids. Right, I, I I see that in the uh, little photos we here now. How is your success rate with the children as far as getting them into schools and getting them into your programs? Um, do they do they regularly yeah. have uh, any obstacles or are they uh, withdrawn or anything like that to participate? Yeah, they do with struggle. Yeah, we realize that as a child comes to us, most of the kids that come to Dallas Life, uh, they're they're ambivalent. They're not sure how they're feeling about having to be there. So what we want to do is make sure that while they go to school and they're getting enrolled, they know that we're there to support them. Now realize some of those kids will be with us at the shelter for maybe maybe five, six, seven, ten weeks. Most of the kids, though, they're going to be there five, six, seven, or ten months. So we quickly get them enrolled through the school system. Our goal is to let the child go to the school that they went to before they became homeless so that there's less trauma in their lives. Sometimes we're able to do that and sometimes we're not. But I have to give a shout-out to our kids because we just love the fact that the kids that come to Dallas Life are learning to be so well-rounded, dealing with their homework, trusting God, that that oftentimes society struggles with homeless kids and even the school system because some pr- principals don't want to enroll homeless children into their schools in the state of Texas because they feel like that homeless child is going to drive down the tax test scores of that school, where we're finding that the average child staying at Dallas Life is raising the tax test scores. About three months ago, a little girl ran in my office and she said, Reverend Sweeney, I got an 87 on my tax test. And I said, what a testimony that is. And we put it on Facebook and we shared it with the Dallas Morning News that this child is actually raising the scores of that school even though she's homeless. So while the kids struggle, we really try to be there for them, encouraging education, encouraging them to have fun, but through that whole process letting them know it's God that's helping them with that, not Dallas life. It's God. All right. Wonderful, wonderful. Beverly, do you have any questions or comments? Uh, Pastor Swinney, what advice would you give to other nonprofits who are trying to create a program uh, to help uh, at-risk youth or to help the homeless, what advice would you give them starting up their their organization or to keep it going? What, what would be well, your advice? Well, that's a great question. It's gonna, <laughs> your listeners are going to think that I asked you 
to ask that because it's a perfect segue into a book that I have written. Oh, wow. Great. Um, Yeah, about four years ago, I was approached uh, by an oil and gas man who asked me if I would uh, be willing to write a book on why Dallas life is so successful because the average shelter in America that has a long-term recovery program sees 2 or 3% of its people go through the program graduate and never need those shelter services again. Instead of 2 or 3%, we are seeing 26% of our people graduate. And so Dr. Tony Evans, former Governor Mike Huckabee, Josh McDowell, and a few others came to me and said, we need to put this in written form. So I have written a book. It's called 2535 Main Street. It's based on the principles of Matthew 25, 35, that said, I was hungry and you fed me, I was naked and you clothed me. And this Matthew, in, um, in, um, I'm sorry, in, in uh, 2535 Main Street, it describes the details of Dallas life, my views on homelessness, why we are seeing the results that we are, and how other organizations, especially shelters across the country, can implement some of our things. The program is written in detail. I wrote our long-term recovery program about 12 years ago and have seen 1,500 people go through it. So you can get the first two chapters for free downloaded at 2535mainstreet.com. And so we're encouraging people through the book to really learn more about Dallas Life that way. Also, there's lots of times when uh, nonprofits who are just starting out will come to my office and spend a couple of hours with me. Trying, I try to give them uh, encouragement and hints to prevent struggle. How to, I, if I've made mistakes in the past, I want other nonprofits to not make them. So I deeply believe that we should all be in, in partnership and collaboration, not feeling as though we're hiding so that no one knows the success of our results. Like, we don't want that out there because people will try to steal it. I would love for people to steal my program. I'd like it to be used (laughs) all over the place. I hope they take it and just run with it. But, um, yeah, oftentimes they'll, they'll call me and we'll talk about how to start that feeding program or that clothing program or a soup kitchen or a nonprofit uh, my telling them how to get a 501c3, how to develop a board of directors, how to work with uh, mailings that go out to your donors, how to work with a tax-exempt basis, how to talk to the media. Uh, so loved, I love to do those types of things. But the book, 2535mainstreet.com, will certainly help a lot of people get some of those answers. Oh, that's a great, that is great. I, I just, when I was thinking about what to talk to you about, I was wondering, well, maybe you can help other nonprofits. Yeah. What is your greatest um, handicap when it comes to raising funds? Do you have one? Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question because we all know that with the economy changing the way it is, there are some decisions nonprofits have to make. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we have to be careful as as Christian nonprofits to not fall into that mindset that we always need to do it like the businesses do it. I think there needs to be that fine line in ministry where we say, "Hey, this is where I will not cross the line. I do this for Christ. This is, I won't change my purpose statement, for example, or my mission statement, and take God out of it just because I might be able to get a grant." 
one of the things I also noticed this year is that since the economy is so bad, there's many seminars out there challenging nonprofits on how to how to change our appeal letters. Appeal letters are those letters that go out every month that come to your home once you give to an organization and they ask you for money again. Well, so many places are saying, if you have that little old lady that gave you $25 a month and now she's only giving you $15 a month, maybe you can change your letter so that it will look like she'll feel guilty if she doesn't give you more money. And I say that's nonsense. What we need to do is be so grateful in realizing that lady changed her giving because she doesn't have it to give. So maybe nonprofits need to go outside the box and find some other ways to raise money. At Dallas Life, for example, two years ago, we realized that the homeless people that were staying with us, most of whom had food stamps, were oftentimes giving those food stamps to their relatives every month and not spending them on their children. Well, even though we provided all the meals, there were things like candy bars and hot dogs and some of those things that were not donated. So we opened a convenience store and became the only shelter in America with a full-service convenience store inside. I found that people were spending food stamps in there, and now that, that store is doing very, very well and a good source of income for us, and it's right there on property. So the challenges that we face are just the daily encouragements of remembering our donors and our love for the donor always comes first. We love to use the word partnership. I love to use the the word uh, a challenge and and, and, and camaraderie because I deeply believe we have the best donors, but donors need to be informed. Uh, People say no one's giving today. That is not true. Don't let anybody convince you of that. Donors want to see a changed life. And if you show them that that life is changed and you can explain to them how that life is changed because of Jesus Christ, they will give to you because they see an honesty. Whereas if you if you paint a picture of how badly you want their million dollars and you'll name this after them and you'll do that, I find the older I get, the less I ask for money and the more I ask for people to change a life and donors really really love that oh that is great that's a great idea i i i think it's you know when you read the papers they tell you that you you know you can't get this and you can't get that and trying to make someone feel guilty is not a good thing i mean i don't want to i wouldn't want to make somebody feel guilty to to give me some money to uh, when there's a, a need it would you know it would make me feel bad to, that that person would feel so Correct. guilty that I would like coercing someone to give something. Sure. Also, when you realize that there, there's always competition out there for those donor dollars, and too often times, shelters or other nonprofits make the mistake of saying that since we know that God will always take care of us, which you and I know is true, too mm-hmm. often times the Christian organization almost kind of bury their head in the sand and say, even though times are bad and even though I have no idea how to raise money, I'm just going to sit back and not do anything because God's got to protect me anyway. Well, I think God's also given us a mind and common sense. (laughs) And we don't want the nonprofit to close and then say, God must have closed it. Well, maybe he closed it because we got lazy. So 
So we have to go out there and do our task, do our part. And I always remind our our, our donors and my staff alike, I use the phrase, pray for the donor. Don't pray on the donor. Pray for the donor. Don't pray on them because the donor wants to see a life change. And the donor who gives $50 to your organization, in my case a shelter, next month they want to know that we've done something to make that man move on whose $50 fed them lunch and dinner every day. Next month they want their $50 to go help someone else. So at Dallas Life, we don't want to be known as a shelter because if we're only a shelter and you stay with us for six months, then you go your way, we go our way, you're still homeless, and we're still a shelter. No, we want to be a recovery program so that you don't need our services next year at this time, but you can be standing up, speaking in microphones as to what God has done to change your life, how you let him do that, he gets the glory, not you. You're recovered and feeling better, and and the donor sees that that life is no longer at a dead end. That's what our goal is. That's great. That's, That's great. a praise report within yes, itself. Yes, it is. Yes, yes it know, just makes me feel at, so wonderful. You, yeah. Most of the time when you look at the city and they're talking about shelters like they created that new one, to me, it seems like they're always trying to hide the homeless people, not um, really work with them. It's like they're trying to hide them. Well, Do now you, you really touched on a major, major topic that's being debated on the news and newspapers all over, and the subject is housing first. It's a buzzword that you see in the media and in the newspaper, and it's exactly what you just said. It's about out of sight, out of mind. If we know the scripture says the poor will always be with us, I wish people would understand the homeless are not going away. So the biggest question I have in all of homelessness is this. Why don't people realize homeless people used to have a home? If we don't find out why they lost that home, they will lose every home we give them until we get to the root of the problem. So in homeless, in um. In Housing First, this is where it started. It started in the Bronx, New York, then it went on to Manhattan, to Miami and Seattle. And the deal is this. If you're homeless, it costs $325 a night to keep you in Green Oaks or a mental hospital in your city. Now, it only costs $125 a night if they have to keep you in jail. So they have been looking for a way to keep homeless people on a daily rate at less than $125 in every major city in America, and they've come up with it, housing first. In housing first, what they'll do is they'll go to owners of abandoned apartments or hotels and say, why can't you rent out the rooms in your hotel? Because it's a bad neighborhood or maybe because there's abatement issues, asbestos old dilapidated buildings, much like you and I would think of a slum landlord. And so those landlords and and hotel owners can get government assistance by the government saying, what is the value of that room that you're trying to rent? Well, the value of that is $300 a month. Okay, what if the government gave you $300 a month and you let us fill your apartment or your abandoned 
hotel with a lot of homeless people. They could live there for free. The government pays you. No one sees the homeless people on the street. Well, the end result is, ladies, that the landlord gets rich. Homeless people are forced into these abandoned buildings. No one is there to give them bus passes, job training, uh, casework volunteers, and they end up turning that abandoned building into a dope house because no one's there to support them. If they're mentally ill, they sink deeper into their depression. Well, they give you the apartment, and there's this time limit on it of either four months, eight months, or one year. At the end of that period of time, you have to find yourself a job where they will evict you. If they evict you, you cycle right back through another shelter and another shelter, and they replace you with someone else because so long as they keep it occupied, they're getting rich. So we look at that and say that doesn't help the homeless person. That just throws them through the cycle of homelessness again. So we tell our residents in our long-term program, you are not allowed to jump into one of those programs for housing until you're closer to graduation. Our program is 10 months long. But unfortunately, you have places like Seattle who've even gone another step, whereas if you're a homeless person on the street and you're brought into one of those apartments, they even have an alcohol center where you stop. And if you're shaking from alcohol consumption yesterday and you're withdrawing from it, they give you a couple of drinks to calm your body down before they put you in that apartment that day. Now they're adding to your addiction letting you stay for free, and they're collecting government money while they do it. We don't think that's the answer. So the next day the person's going to have that same issue. Absolutely. So they're they're getting paid to just really just put you away and keep you contained. Yes, that's terrible because their addiction's getting worse. They're closer to death because studies show that alcoholics who repeatedly get into a drunken stupor will drink a little bit more next time to get just yeah. as drunk. So it, the end result is they're they're gradually killing people, and, and it's just so it's sad. Every, every other day I blog nationally on homelessness, and people uh, can learn about that at um, homelessinformation.com. Uh, they, they tag me as the homeless expert, and... And uh, that's, that's, there's a blog on there they can click on. Homelessinformation.blog? Homelessinformation.com. Yes, okay. and there's a spot on that site. They can click on the blog. It'll take them right to it. And if you read the blog and you're interested in it, there's an icon on there that if you click on that, every other day when I blog, it will send you an email with the title of the blog for the day. So okay. homelessinformation.com. Wonderful. You're doing so many great things for our people. I am so proud and joyful for that. I wish it was more and more and more people like you. Maybe one day when I grow up, I can be like you, Mr. Sweeney. I tell my kids that all the time. But remember this. While you think of the people out there making a difference, like what you're doing with radio and your churches do when they volunteer at places like Dallas Life, You and I will know, we always know, that it's not us that touch the lives of the needy as much as the needy touch our lives. You and I both know we get so much out of serving people. I wouldn't want anyone who goes to work every day in the grocery store or the bank to think that, that, that I am the one with the chosen calling because it's those people that give $10 and $20 a month 
that are my cheerleaders that are holding up my arms like Moses, challenging us every day to be able to do what we do. So we all serve where we're planted. We grow where we're growing, and we're grateful that we even have the opportunity. It's a privilege to serve the needy. Well, on that note, Pastor, I want to let you know that when we come down there and serve your people at the um, the tenants of Dallas Life, they thank us so much and they tell us how grateful they are that we're there and we're helping and uh, providing the meals. It just gives us such joy and pleasure that we are able to do it. And I uh, had to email Jamie the other day, tell her, give me my spots back for next year, please. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she wonderful? It is nice. Yeah, yes. I feel good when I came down get it once. And we so love good. her. Jamie takes every application. And for the, for those who are listening now, if you're interested in volunteering at Dallas Life, you can learn all about us at DallasLife.org. Now, I know I've given them three websites so far. Dallas okay. Life tells you everything about Dallas Life, and there's an opportunity on there to click on volunteerism. You can even fill out the whole volunteer application online. When you click Submit, it goes to Jamie. That's the gal you mentioned. And Jamie takes those, reads over them, will contact you and plug you into volunteering. So DallasLife.org. Secondly, if you're interested in our blog. Well, I wanted to to give you a little information about um, Granny's Place and the Shane Hart Mentoring Program that we have developed for the um, community of Duncanville. I always get them mixed up. Um, I am the... uh, director of the Shane Hart Mentoring Program there where we have developed a uh, reading program for after school for the children in that community. And we're just getting it started and getting it off the ground, trying to uh, get all our ducks in a row. And um, we were wondering, do you have people that you refer out once they leave the shelter to different areas if they're in a certain area and there's a program that you refer them to? Well, by the time they, if they graduate from Dallas Life and they've been with us the whole 10 months, they are in their own, well, they'll spend that 10 months drug and alcohol free. They're members of local evangelical churches. They're going to work every day in a job they found through our computer school and writing their resume. They are going, uh, they're paying their rent on time every month in an apartment that they have found on their own through signing up for income housing opportunities. So by the time they leave us, they're already at their 40-hour-a-week. Volunteers would need to know about what it is that you offer, but in terms of like a three-quarter house or a transition house, I have one that we're just getting started now that I'll have some of our older residents, our senior citizens, sometimes are disabled because those are two segments of our society that are easily overlooked in homelessness. And Dallas Life's the only long-term program in the city for uh, those senior citizens and disabled that need a long-term in-house program. Uh, so I don't have numbers of people that leave Dallas Life and need a program, but they can certainly volunteer at it, and that's what we would encourage them to do because volunteerism is something we should all be involved in all the time, even if it's, even if it's very minor. I teach a one-half-hour Bible study at an Alzheimer's facility six blocks from my house every Monday night, and it just helps me realize I work at a shelter. It doesn't mean I shouldn't volunteer. And so I still like to do a little something outside of my own work. So, yeah, I wouldn't challenge people to come out to your organization and others just putting a few minutes in and touching the life of a needy person. 
Okay, well, we thank you for that information. Uh And we thank you so much for being on our show today. And we just uh, overwhelmed right now with joy and enthusiasm about about Dallas Life. I just enjoy doing the volunteer services there. And like you, I would encourage everybody to give something back to somebody and let them know that you do love and care for them. And we will hope that we would be able to have you on the show at a later date with some updates, if you don't mind. I would love to. So the listeners can remember DallasLife.org tells you all about the shelter. HomelessInformation.com tells you about the blog if they want to read about this and other homeless issues every few days online. And lastly, uh, 2535MainStreet.com lets them know about the book that they can take and share with others about why Dallas Life is so successful. I thank you for taking the time to have me on this morning. Well, God bless you. I have enjoyed this morning. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, you've kind of encouraged me to volunteer down there. And uh, I'm just excited about what you're doing at, at uh, Dallas Life. It, uh, your vision, your mission for the homeless is um, it's heartfelt, and uh, I'm just excited. about. I've been taking notes through your whole talk this morning, so I'm excited about what you're doing. Amen. Thank you. I just remember that all the t- every time I read, you can change the world, I say, no, I can't. God can change the world. He can just use even me. Thanks so much, yeah. ladies. All right. Thank, Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye. And we will be getting with you at a later date and get schedule you again to come on and give us some more enlightening information and just make our souls bubble as we are right now because I want to chat over here. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to give God some glory and praise right yeah. now yeah. for you because it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I'd be honored to come back on. All right. Yeah. Well, God bless you, and have a wonderful, wonderful you, day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good morning, Mother Hill. Are you there? I'm fine. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing fantastically well. And yourself? I'm doing good this morning, and I enjoyed the, the um, speech he was making this morning. And um, I had something else I was going to talk about. Uh, but I didn't uh, didn't find the scripture. But I was gonna say that when a man should, when a man won't work, he should when he get up and get a job. And the mothers and parents and uh, grandmothers and fathers and everything encourage the children to work. They should start working by the time they too they can do little things. And I got a great-grandbaby here. And she tries her best to do something. And if you get your children out to work, and they won't be still and they'll know to work. That work will be in them. And they will not have to stand on the corners and beg for money or go out and kill somebody or hurt somebody's grandmother. And they would work. It don't matter what, if they didn't get an education, then they could go back to school and go back to school, go to a job program. And as he was saying, he got things that uh, he has for children. 
So they need to get in before they're teenagers. And if you see where they are going in the wrong direction, you should talk to them, pray with them, or pray for them, and ask the Lord to help you do this, because you can't do it by yourself. And I am a witness to that. Whatever you do, you have to pray. You have to ask God, because when <clears throat> when I was doing uh, going through that, I just my son, I gave him back to the Lord. I said, Lord, you gave him to me, and you can take him back. But whatever you decide to do, give me the strength to take it. And it seemed like after I did that, and I was sincere with it. I, was, I wasn't just saying it, but I was sincere with it. God gave him to me, and if he wanted to take him back, I just wanted the strength. And Lord will give you strength. If you ask for it, he'll give you strength. You have a mighty job to do. That's raising your children, your grandchildren. And when you do that and start them out young to work. When I was uh, in the country, I grew up in the country. That was work. Nobody knows how hard work. But people now, they don't want to work. They'd rather sit around and wait till somebody do something or get into something that they won't know how to get out of. But I see the gentleman that was talking, he got a, a nice program going on, a good program that's going on. And I would encourage uh, the parents, if you have little children growing up and you didn't make it with the older children, you always have a second chance with your grandchildren, uh, the next set of uh, children. And when we do that, we're doing what, what the Lord says do. He wants us to take care of our children. He wants us to nourish our children. And when we do that, we're doing what God tells us to do. And mothers, don't give up. Keep fighting for your children. It's if they and you keep talking with them, they will eventually hear what you're saying. They might get upset and angry with you, but you be telling them the truth. Because a man that don't work shouldn't eat. And that Amen. comes out out of Second uh, Thessalonians, Thessalonica. And that's, that's a good thing, that uh, right, you have to work. And that's what that's what God says. A man that should, a man that don't work, he shouldn't eat. So Amen. that's a powerful thing. If you don't work, you should not sit down at your mother's table. Go to work. Help your mother. A lot of them are single mothers, and it's always if you make one mistake and God wake you up the next morning, start then trying to correct the mistakes that you've already made. It's never too late to make up for what you've already done. And that's a good thing. If you don't make it the first time around, God has given you a second chance. So you take that chance, and if if you got younger children, 
older children, they already sit. All they do is hang out on the corners, attack grandmothers and anybody else. They just don't care. And you got a chance to shape and mold the younger ones that you have. And when I was young, my children were growing up. I did what needed to be done. And you can do what needs to be done for you also. And don't all be right, all right, all right. Thank you, Mother Hill, for oh, that this yeah, morning. Yeah. We're about to go into our closing prayer, and we ask that you join in with us as we uh, close the show this morning. We thank you for your uh-huh. words of wisdom. We actually thank um, Reverend Bob Sweeney for coming on this morning from the Dallas Life. Uh, give us yeah. an, uh, that insight that he gave us today, and we appreciate him so much for that. And we are going to close with a prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, this morning. Father, we thank you for last night laying down and this morning rising. Dear God, we thank you that when we woke up this morning, everything was well. Father, we thank yeah. you for bright the cool weather, the the grace and the mercy that you give us from day to day. Thank you for the new mercies that we have every morning when we wake up. Father, this morning we're going to ask that you bless the Dallas life and the vision and of uh, Pastor Sweeney today. Keep him in your will and in your way as he goes forth today, dear God. We thank you for allowing us to be connected with Dallas Life, Father, and we ask the continued blessings on them. Dear God, we ask that as we go forward in this day, that we show some love, some some compassion, some friendliness, a smile to those who are less fortunate than us, or to just everybody, dear God. Give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the strength to help our brother and our sister, for that is what we are here for, to do your will and your way. These are other blessings we ask in our son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's a good day to start in the way that the Lord has made. This is a new day. We will rejoice. And thank you so much for joining us. Beverly, I'll see you in a little bit. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.